0: everybody. It's the MPG Real Estate Show. I'm your host, Josh Mosler. This week, I got Mike Butchentini from Contini Property Renewals, which is a local home investors franchise. Correct. <laughs> I said it all. It was a mouthful. I was like... There you go. <laughs> like you've done this before. <laughs> how's it going, man?
1: Pretty good. yourself? I'm good. Thank you for coming on. Absolutely. How's uh, how's the market been? Um, it's been a pretty good year. Um, the, the, not only on the retail side, but um, on the buying side, it's it's a it's a great year to be in what we're doing.
0: We were talking a little bit. I actually just interrupted our conversation for the listeners. You know, they're just coming on. But uh, we were talking a little bit before about the growth here in Savannah, how crazy it is, like, west of MLK and east of Waters.
1: and Absolutely. It's been crazy. It's been a very – I mean, I don't know about uh, you, but um, just trying to figure out a value on some of these properties, it's basically throwing, you know – darts at a wall you don't even need the board anymore you just kind of aim at a wall and hope you hit something and it's it's insane the target's getting bigger yeah the target's enormous at this point you know Um, i was just looking at one in collars brownsville and i was trying to
0: uh get an arv and the house across the street sold for like 220 it's like same
1: square footage i was like there's no way that's right so i I kept ruining my numbers i was like oh my god i've got one in um i just put under contract this past week on um in uh Dang it! I can't think of it. Starts with a C as well. Camp Park? No, other way. Uh, by the arena. Um. Oh. Um. Carver Village. Carver Village. Yeah. Just put it under contract, and I'm looking at the uh, ARVs, and I'm like, "There's no way," because I remember just two years ago that they were half of this number. Yeah, you know, that's what like, I'm saying. Yeah. And I'm, I'm I made an I made an offer, and I'm and I remember thinking, "There's no way this offer works." And I, I even reached out to my appraiser friend, and she goes, "Yeah, Mike." It it makes sense and i'm like what (laughs) you know because my offer price was what two years ago the arv would have been right you know yeah uh so it's uh it's it's turning into a crazy crazy market to even uh make offers in right now so um it has led to us being a little more aggressive and you kind of got to be a little more creative sometimes and uh, I know that uh, I saw your mailers, and, and you, we mail a lot. Um, <laughs> my fun, my favorite thing is when I when I walk in a house and they have the whole stack of them sitting there.
0: Yeah. So, um, you
1: get them all the time. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah, I think right now they're getting so saturated because you know the we talk about this a lot, which is to wholesaling or investing. I guess you know people, it depends what you want to call it. Absolutely. But there's a very low barrier to entry right absolutely. it's very easy to buy two thousand dollars worth of mailers and send them out absolutely and everybody pulls the same list absentee right absolutely and so you talk a lot of these absentee owners i mean it's getting more and more important to differentiate your mail
1: than ever before and and so fortunately we're a national franchise so we actually have a huge marketing team that act that helps us um differentiate you know they they help us with our mailers they help us with our uh, we have tv presence we have you know internet presence um i mean we 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 own a, we own the slogan of we buy ugly houses right you now you can't even use that without our legal detar- department hunting you down and making you miserable <laughs> you know uh, which
0: i want to get into all this so let me start with i don't know if you have you listened to the podcast before only once okay okay so, so common question the same question i ask everybody first which is um what is your trajectory from 18 to right now like, how did you know
1: coming up and then how did you get into investing? Okay, so in 2018, I was still a cop. Okay, I bought my franchise in February of 2018 and we started in April of 2018. Okay, I bought two properties in 2018 with very little marketing, um, made my first profit and I was hooked. Um, 2019 rolled around and I made the fateful decision that the day job really sucked. Um, I rather. Do real estate all the time and so we uh that's the first year i left my full-time paying job and ventured out on my own what was your background before that though like from the age of 18 oh
0: 18 so i
1: started out in the marine corps okay um i I graduated high school out of richmond virginia started out uh, went straight in the marine corps uh spent five years as a helicopter crew chief Aircraft mechanic. Uh, I'm actually a licensed aircraft mechanic as well. You're the
0: third guy that either flew or worked on helicopters in the military. That's been on this podcast, so that's yeah. kind of crazy.
1: It's uh, it it's it's very similar to, to rehabbing. Um, everything's always blowing up in your face and and, and kind of train wrecking, and you just got to solve it all <laughs> uh, at the same time. So it's it's very similar. Yeah. So um, but uh, left the Marine Corps at the time. It was right after two thousand uh, one uh, there was not a lot of work for aircraft mechanics, so I went into driving truck for a few years. Um, went over the road for a little bit, and then and I started hauling uh, gasoline locally okay. um, in Richmond, Virginia, and eventually transferred to Charleston, South Carolina. Um, bought my first real estate investment at twenty three. Uh, paid thirty thousand for it. Put ten ten thousand into it and sold it for ninety. Uh, in Charleston? No, in. Uh, Virginia, Richmond, and okay. Hopewell, okay. where I grew okay. up. And then uh, come down to Charleston, bought a house there. Uh, after I was with uh, – or after I moved to Charleston, I took a job with Boeing for a little while. I uh, was working in their quality assurance and, and uh, engineering department and left a job there to go work for the Highway Patrol. And I spent nine and a half years with them. Well, they bounced me around the state of South Carolina a couple of times, so I ended up in a little town called Williston, um, which is – if you uh if you blink you you missed it and two other towns so um uh, we had moved from there to Beaufort uh, and that's where we we picked up our second home that we turned into and the first house I bought in Charleston turned into a rental okay second house in in Beaufort turned into a rental um sold them a couple of years later for a pretty nice profit um even after renting them and all that and used that to get our foothold in real estate investing so Let me ask you this. At 23, when you bought that first house, why did you buy
0: that? Like, did you have, I mean, how did you even know about real estate, about flipping? What was the story kind of there?
1: So, ironically, uh, my dad was a real estate agent when I was a kid. Okay. So, he kind of grew up around it. And so, he wasn't doing it long. He was only a real estate agent from maybe the age of four to six. Okay. I had an uncle that did it for a while. Um, But,. I've always, and my stepfather's been in contracting, so I've always had a thing for houses. You know, I've always, and, and the older, the uglier, the smellier, the better. I I I love an absolute crap hole, you know. <laughs> um, so this this whole thing kind of fits my personality quite well. Okay, so just growing up
0: around your dad doing the real estate, and then at twenty three, then so what was the decision making process? How would you find the first house?
1: So the first house was actually my dad's estate. Um, okay. My dad passed away when I was 21, and um, when I got out of the Marine Corps, I was I was like, you know, a friend of my stepfather's made a lot of money rehabbing houses, and this thing would be perfect. and And I got an offer from a, a wholesaler on that house of 25k, so I bought the whole estate for 30, um, and that came with truck stuff, everything for 30k, um, and um, ended up only doing an exterior rehab, put new siding on it, new windows, new doors. The neighbor approached me one day. Goes, hey, I need a bigger house. You want to trade? I was like, hey, how about you just give me ninety k and i walk away. And at the time, it was 07. Um, it was a great. They they considered it a great deal. It was valued at one thirty. He was paying ninety for it. And um, but the, the next year, the the market bombed. He did the entire interior rehab, and I didn't. I didn't even do the expensive hard parts. Dang. Know? So. Um, and you got out just in time. I got out. I walked away three months before the market bombed out so lucky timing yes (laughs) Uh, i think most of investing investing is a little bit of a skill and a lot of luck yeah yeah
0: so then you moved to charleston after everything and then so what was the deal second deal you ever did kind of what were the numbers on that so
1: i bought it as my personal residence i paid 90k for it in 2009 and um it needed a bathroom it had the pepto-bismol pink 1960s bathroom so i bought it i left the closing and i had the bathroom ripped out by three o'clock that afternoon <laughs> um new bathroom went in because it was a three bed one bath um so new bathroom went in and um lived in that until i got stationed in 2010 in williston uh south carolina um and i rented it out for monthly rent of i believe that was 900 a month um, made a couple hundred bucks a month on it, not too bad to return. The ROI was pretty good on it. And then twenty seventeen we decided to go ahead and offload that one. We'd had long term tenants in it they'd been in there four years at that point. Um, and we'd made we'd made our money on it. Right. Um, turns out that, you know, I put five grand into the rehab before I sold it and sold it for one twenty, um, with almost no it still had the same windows. It still had everything else was the same. I didn't even change the countertops. You know, I painted parts of it and uh, just did, you know, I, I upgraded the HVAC system because it was a little wonky. But um, Charleston's yeah. so red hot. It's yeah. Crazy. yeah. And it's, it just, it went like that. So <laughs> we made our money back plus with all the rental income we'd made on it. Right. So, and then similar deal with the one in Beaufort was we bought it, lived in it for a couple of years bought our new house in Bluffton. we're in now and uh sold uh, rented it for a few years and then sold it so
0: okay so you stay a cop for nine and a half years mm-hmm. and then you
1: decide one day i'm gonna be uh well we had already uh oh you had already started investing we'd already bought yeah, the, yeah, yeah. yeah so we so bought the franchise the um a year before i left okay Patrol. okay yeah uh, i i actually remember reaching out to one of my, my uh we have these individuals that are best that that help us grow our franchise um that help their their guidance okay and i remember reaching out to him going how do you know when to quit your job and he goes you'll never know and if you never do it you'll never do it and i go what's that even mean he goes exactly and he hangs up (laughs) and i i remember sitting there going i'm not even sure what the hell just happened you know and he goes and i i call him back about a week later i'm like i'm not even sure what to make of that he goes when it's right, you'll know it. And so I sat down one day, and I'm thinking about it, and I'm, you know. And I, I talked to a friend of mine, and he goes, Mike, well, how much risk are you taking every day when you go to work? And I think it's, it's a pretty risky job. I've, I've been bitten twice. I've been you know, been in more fights than most people will ever experience, you know. <laughs> um, the late nights kind of suck. So he goes, what are you doing it for? It's like, well, it's got a good retirement. And he goes, pull up that retirement and see how good it is. So that was the first time I ever pulled pulled up my retirement account. And it said that if I stayed in another fifteen years, I'd make twenty four hundred dollars a month. And I typed my resignation right then and there. Because that is nothing. Yeah. That is I mean you've done rehabs. I can burn through twenty four hundred dollars in a few minutes some days. Yeah. You know? That's a lighting package in some houses. You know? I mean, so it's like that wouldn't if if I use my current expenses. Well, that wouldn't cover what I currently spend on my normal day to day. You know, so it I just lost the 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 value in it. Right. You know, and I didn't have the passion anymore. the The stress of the job had pretty much eaten out. You know, the passion that I had for it. Um, and I discovered that with this, I had a lot more passion. I I really discovered I love enjoying. Or I love meeting the people we meet. The, the, the situation I love solving the problems we solve you know and and it. it I feel like I, I honestly feel like I give more back to a community doing what I do now than I did then and it sounds terrible but it, I really do because I know that we come in we make these neighborhoods nicer better and help the people that want the help in those neighborhoods right so. people that maybe would have got no money or they didn't know absolutely. they're going to lose their house or absolutely and, and, and just not even to that but um, yesterday, I was talking to a, a gentleman across from one of my rentals, and he goes, we're so glad you bought that property. We know it's got potential, and we cannot wait to see it, you know? Um, that, And that's that's in uh, Kyler Brownsville, you know? There are people in these neighborhoods that they remember back when these neighborhoods were living and thriving beings. They wanted them to be like that again. Right. So... It's hard to imagine, isn't it? <laughs> it is, and and they tell you stories, and that's the best part because I talk, I, I always talk to these people to 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 learn a little bit. To I love Savannah's history. I can't even imagine living somewhere else at this point. So I love to hear you know their stories of it, um, their their history of Savannah. I mean, that gentleman fam- family had owned that house for a hundred years. Yeah, you know, and there's a lot of that here in Savannah. Um, a lot of my buyers or a lot of my sellers, when I buy their home they can give me 30 40 50 60 years of history on that home you know um and i think that's something unique to the savannah market is because the city is so old and so storied that there is a lot of history you know um that you don't get in a lot of other places you know it's not your you know 20 year old built in the 80s you know fiberboard piece of junk right you know yeah a lot of I mean, I, I know my average age for a purchased house is 1973, I think, right now. So uh, I, my newest one I've ever bought was an 06, but that was the project I hated the most, you know. <laughs> so
0: so uh, kind of going back, how did you find the Homevestors
1: franchise, and what was the story behind all that? So um, both myself and my husband uh, are, real, are, are uh, Marine Corps veterans. And so what I did is I went one day and my husband struggles with some PTSD. So I went and did some research. Uh, we were looking for a business that would fit his work schedule, which real estate is very flexible, you know. Um, so there are times where he at the time was struggling to be able to, you know, work a full 40 hour week sometimes. Or he could, he could work, you know, three or four days solid, you know, 10, 12, 14 hour day. And need a day or two, or and just flame out. So, I needed we needed something with flexibility. So I googled uh, veteran-friendly franchises because my husband's a very structured person. He likes the structure of right. what they provide. Um, and Homevestors actually popped up in the Military Times as one of the top ten franchises to own by a military vet for more than a uh, for almost a decade. Okay, and with a company that's only twenty five years old. Yeah, I never heard that before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a pretty good reputation in the military military community because they've been actually when I looked them up, they were in the top five. Um, I'm not actually as sure they're standing right now, but I do know that for a decade they've been in the top ten. Right. You know, and that tells me something about that company because that means it's got a lot of vets. It's got a lot of people that have said good things with it about it, um, and so. I reached out to the to corporate, um, and we started the process in August of 2017. Okay. And we didn't actually purchase until February of 2018. What's that process like? Is it pretty difficult? Or? Um, it's not that difficult. It's okay. it's actually fairly simple. Um, it's just paperwork, the 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 basic legal, um, setting up the entities and the legal aspects of everything. Um, of course, your non-disclosures, things like that. So all the, the the normal rigmarole that you would set up with any kind of partnership or, or franchise. Um, a little more detailed than if you start start out on your own. Um, but the benefit was that you do get a support network. You do get, you know, we, we have over a thousand franchises national nation, nationally. You know, I can get a lead here in Savannah for a house in Michigan and call a franchisee and go, hey, I got a lead up there. Are you interested? You know. Um, so it gives us a benefit. Um, also, I can call other markets. I I can usually tell you that my guy in Tucson is going to tell me what my market's doing in a month or two uh, because there seems to be a correlation there. Yeah, there seems to be like a, a a slight lead in Tucson to us here. And I went to training with him, you know. So I'll give him a call. Hey, you seen you seen anything weird lately? And it gives me a little bit of a heads up. It gives me a, a preparation sometimes. Um, That's
0: kind so. of weird because you know we are don't have the same kind of like. We're not demographically
1: the same as Tucson it's completely at all. We're on the ocean. Exactly. It's completely weird. It is like last year before COVID, they noticed, you know, the same thing our market ended up doing in June. They noticed it in April, you know. And so since then, I've kind of kept him on the horn. And I'm like, hey, what – uh What's your market doing right? Now? <laughs> you know? And if I notice something weird, I'll call him up, hey, has your market done this? And he'll be, Oh yeah, we did that like a month or two ago. You know, because it is a much larger market. Yeah. Um, so I think they experience some of the, the change that way, you know. Um but also having the ability to, you know, call, I mean, I I know plenty of investors here and I I keep on the phone with several of them. But uh, being able to call somebody in another region when you know your region's doing something weird and saying, "Hey, are you seeing this?" You know, it's it's actually a, a pretty big benefit. You know, um, we had a instance, especially during COVID, where we had some markets that were just killing it; just everything was on the market. You know, and then we had markets like ours where we just we were not doing well at all. Um, and so it. It kind of, even when, when the chips are down and you're feeling, you know, you've had one of those bad months where you, you never hit your target, you you, 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 you you didn't get the number of closes, you, your deals fell apart, anything like that happened. You can call, it's, it's basically having a squad be going, hey, I need, I need some cheerleading, you know. Um, and it gives you the the, the benefit of, of having that phone call to make. So, um, and people to understand. Um, right. Being an investor can be lonely sometimes um, because you – most people don't understand what we do, you know. Um, I have a tenant right now that every time I go to visit them, uh, there's a neighbor that yells out that I'm coming to evict them, um, <laughs> and and it's never the reason, but that's it, I hear it every time, and I kind of laugh uh, because that's the <laughs> reputation that you know some some event investors have. Right. So yeah. Well, um, there's some investors that you know it only takes a couple of bad apples. to spoil a bunch right absolutely yeah and and we all know um of a few Uh, we've all run into you know that that guy you know at least once and um it's it's painful because i just did a deal i just closed on the house yesterday i initially looked at this house in 2018 couldn't work a deal he signed a deal with a wholesaler for a lot more than they could ever get out of it in the condition it was in and um they 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 messed him up pretty good for two years, and I reached out to him earlier this year because I happened to be looking at a house around the corner and drove by, and I noticed it was still vacant. I reached out to him, and I was like, hey, are you still interested in selling the house? Um, With property values, I think I might be able to make you something of a better offer. And he goes, yes, but I'm really leery now because the last guy really messed me up and cost me a lot of money, you know? And I was like, hey, I'm going to make this process simple because he's a military guy. He's not even in the state. We were able to work the deal. He's halfway across the country. We were able to work the deal through email and through um, text message, you know? Got him his number, got the house repaired and back on the market and sold it to another military person, you know? Um, but that bad reputation's out there and that hinders all of us, all the, the all the, the good investors are, that are gonna go and sign a contract and hold out that word and actually do what they say. Um, and I know you see them on the t- all the time on Marketplace like I do. We've got this great deal, you know, ten thousand below ARV, and you're looking at going. That needs twenty five thousand dollars worth of work. That's not a deal. Or they'll say it only yeah. needs
0: five thousand dollars worth of work, and you're like, dude, what contractor are you using?" Yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: I, I just, I actually had one. It was a direct lead to me. A wholesaler that brought me a lead, and I looked at it. I looked at the deal, and my first thought was, "Did you say this was a good deal?" Or did you say this was just a deal? Right. And they go, well, I'm not sure what it is. I was like, well, this isn't a deal of any nature. <laughs> um, this is terrible, you know. Yeah. But I spent about a half hour kind of educating them on, you know, what a good deal would look like, you know, to somebody like me or to possibly a real estate agent or so, something that you could actually produce with, you know. So that way they're not they're not putting out these contracts that we all have to fight against. Right. You know, Um We've all, I mean, the, the lady I just bought the building that's going to become my office from, she even said it. I've had two other people make offers on this. They had contracts. We worked and worked and worked, and they never closed. They walked away, you know. Um, and, and that, I think, is a biggest hindrance we see here in Savannah. We get these people that, you know, they went online and they saw a YouTube video about how to do wholesaling. And they, they really didn't do the homework, Right. I mean, a lot of people watch HGTV and and think that this is, you know, something I can do with little effort. You know, they don't understand how to to run a value. They don't understand how to figure out a rehab budget. You know, my favorite is that $5,000 rehab budget. You can't even paint most houses right now for $5,000. It's like, what else are you doing? You know, I mean, it's... This is unrealistic, you know. Something I want to
0: unpack there, though, that you said, which is that you spent time with that investor or that wholesaler to explain to them how to do it correctly. Absolutely. And I think that as a community, oftentimes we're so busy, or, you know, I don't know everybody's reason to regularly speak for myself. A lot of times I'm too busy. If I see a bad deal, I just dismiss that person, right? But a couple of bad apples will spoil the whole bunch. So I think that there is some value in when we see a bad deal, maybe we're reaching out and. So
1: I, I, that was one of the changes I made last year. After having a bad year, I kind of looked at what could I do to help myself? You know, what could I do to help improve, you know, my lead chances, my, you know, and, and I'd run into a few of those. So what I do is if I see one of those bad deals, you know, the first thing is I'm I ask, where'd you get your ARVs? Where'd you get your numbers? You know, and if I realize real quickly that, hey, they're not doing sufficient homework, you know what? I'm in my truck eight, 10 hours a day running around looking at properties, doing this. I can spend 20, 30 minutes on the phone while I drive to educate these, somebody like that to help them be better at what they do, so that when when they do put a contract together, it's a good, solid contract. And they bring it to you, and that might be another <laughs> also, and, and, they, and it, it has worked out because it does build me a preference. That right. I spent my time with them, and I believe that you know that little bit of time. Pays off because even if they don't bring me a the contract, they bring it to somebody else. I mean, it's a solid, it's a better contract, it's a better deal. Right? You know, it's it's something that helps the homeowner, you know, and not just the investor, not just the wholesaler, not just it's it's something that all around is much better set up and much better planned. So, uh, th- and that's where I believe that a lot of the wholesalers don't understand how in depth the process can really be so um and that's a mistake that even i have made in the past you know i get these bad deals i see them i go oh right go ahead and dismiss that that's that's absolute junk but how do they know it's junk if we don't tell them you know and the first deal that was brought to me i looked at it and i went that's that's pretty terrible you know and i and I, i explained why you know they had a $40,000 rehab budget. Well, I just did a rehab budget or rehab on an almost identical property in slightly better shape. And it cost me 85,000. You know, it's like the, 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 the numbers don't, don't work, you know, and this is why. And so they, uh, that education has provided me some good leads, you know, and for 30 minutes of my time, I think 30 minutes of my time is worth a, a one or two leads, you know right um it gives it builds builds that person up builds us up and as a whole improves the investor investor relations in the area right yeah i love that yeah for sure um so something we kind of glossed
0: right over because we're getting into the the good stuff here but we so once you sign with home investors or start your franchise here um and then you quit your job and then kind of what's been the ups and downs challenges wins what's it so, been like since then
1: um i remember the first few months of quit my job was a train wreck I, I was i was used to that steady paycheck i was used to that comfort level of guaranteed you know um it's an adjustment it's a severe adjustment and i grew up in a house where uh, my stepfather owned his own business so i was kind of familiar with it but not just how severe it could be, you right. know. Um, it's, it's, there's, there's nothing like having that steady paycheck c- coming in and then stopping it and then realizing, that, you know what? I'm going to have to hold that bill off for a couple of weeks till I get that closing done, you know. Right, yeah. Um, but uh, 2019 was pretty good. Um, we, we had multiple deals. We went from two deals in 2019, I think we did. Uh, or 2018, we did two. 2019, we did six. 2020, we did nine. Okay. We've shot way beyond that this year. So, um, but we had, you know, we've had growth every year. You know, last year, we only did about half the growth I wanted. Uh, We, we, COVID really hit the way we advertise, I guess, really hit us hard last year. Um, And so there was a period from, I'd say, June until November that, we had to scale back on marketing or July to November where we had to scale back on marketing because we had spent so much planning on COVID doing the opposite that we had ill prepared for if anything had gone wrong and it went seriously wrong. So having to kind of readjust the plan from there was the big thing. And having done that with the help of a lot of really good people and some of them that have been on your show, um, it's uh it's it's been a great uh, and i said last year that if i can make it through this year next year is going to be great and so far it's been correct what do you
0: think that you did wrong in 2020 because i hear a lot of guys that said that 2020 was the best year ever
1: by far you know i mean
0: i hear that more than i hear anything else
1: um so one of the things that I, i think was one of my failures was my network you know um I did not have a properly staged network because I had, you know, some of those lower-end deals was, you know, crappier deals. I, I had blown them off, you know. Um, I hadn't taken my time to build my network up as well as I should have, especially with the way we were growing. I had focused on, you know, making the next project, next project, next project. Instead of, you know, now we've brought on a project manager to hand projects because, well, uh, my job is buying houses, right. you know. Um, and so now I give him... This is what we gotta get done on this property. This is our timeline, this is our budget. Let's go. You know, and so that has freed up an immense amount of time for me to do the, the more important stuff, which is getting the networking, getting out there, um, knocking on doors, talking to people, you know, seeing houses. Um and and in this job a lot of what we do is long term follow up. You know, and I had not been sufficient in follow up last year. When the stuff really went sideways and we weren't getting those everyday leads, you know, because I had relied on, you know, I'm going to get another, you know, this number of leads this month, so I'll be fine. Well, when we weren't getting those leads, when we, 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 when you drop from 30, 40 leads a month to seven, I remember one month I had seven, you know, and it takes me eight to buy a house. Right. So it's like, hmm, this is going to be bad. So, and I remember one month I had two. So it's like... <laughs> Holy cow yeah and so it it, it it there's a real pucker factor there because I didn't have a backup plan you know whereas now I know I can you know I can call other investors and go hey I need a property or I can you know I, I actually I have a uh, my husband's a real estate agent and so I his office has um, been feeding me some stuff that they've they've got coming up you know um, they, 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 they know that we're interested in some scarier stuff. You know, and and they're, they they dig that. You know, they 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 know that we we pick up just about anything. So, as as do most investors, they'll they we we've all gotten pretty creative and looked around, especially with this market because property values have gotten so good. It allows us to take a little bit more risk than we would have in the past, right? Yeah. You know, um, I know plenty of projects, and, and, and I'm willing. But you've done a few where you've looked at them in the past, and go nope, and now you're looking back through that list, going that's that a solid it. maybe now, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. so
0: yeah, there was some where we passed on, and I saw somebody else pick it up, and I'm like, oh,
1: you know, that's pretty tight. and Then they just crush it, yeah. I just saw one of those. I I, I didn't pass on it. I uh, I failed to follow up, and I I'm still a little mad about it. Because I was not confident enough um, to make the deal, right. and they wanted one eighty-five, and I offered them I'd, I'd offered them one sixty. They wanted one eighty-five, and I just couldn't do it at first. I couldn't pull the trigger. By the time I was ready to pull the trigger, somebody else had, and they got the the one eighty-five. I was actually willing to go to one ninety-five. By the time I was ready to pull the trigger, the person put ninety-five thousand into it and just sold it for four seventy-nine. Dang. Uh, and I'm still a little butthurt. <laughs> uh, yeah. Lesson learned, you know. Yeah, that's how that's, they all are. They're just lessons. That's, that's the great thing uh, you'll know about every every investor out there. We've all got that deal that got away, you know. I remember the very first deal that I knew I lost because my mistake. Um, 61 Egret down in Richmond Hill. Um, the guy wanted 5000 more than I had offered him, and at the time I was green. I think it was like the – Fourth or fifth house I'd ever looked at as a rehabber, and um, I just—I—I I, I was still in that small mindset of you know uh, I'm afraid to spend every penny. Yeah. Um, and uh, the other guy that made an offer on it gave him the extra five, and the rehab turned out to be you know only half of what I'd expected, and he killed it. And and that. that I still pull that every time I think about, you know, if I can find an extra two, $3,000, I pull that picture of that house up after <laughs> and I go, I'll figure something out. So it works
0: on the other side too, though. Like you ever, uh, win a deal against somebody and you're like, yes, like I, cr- I'm about to crush this thing. And, uh, I actually saw another investor in this house and we still won it. I couldn't believe it. She had set up multiple appointments mm-hmm. and, uh, he reached out, even was like, "Hey, can I buy it?" And I was like, "You know, man, I'm gonna just keep it." Cause I was just thinking to myself, "Dude, we're gonna crush this thing." Mm-hmm. Turns out, title issue can never close. Well, no one will ever buy that house. Yeah, but you know, what I mean, it's like on the other side of the coin
1: too. You got to be careful, check yourself also. You know, when you're winning. And we've we've made that deal where we won the deal. And it was the worst thing we could have done. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, you, you, you don't realize it when you closed on it. You stepped in a big old pile of poop. You're just sitting there. You're, you're looking above the table. Your shoe's standing in that pile of poop. And then you go slide away from the table. And you're like, what's this? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and when we've, I think everybody that's, if, if you've got, you know, more than 10 deals under your belt, I think everybody's made that deal where they're like, oh, God, I better get out of this. Yeah, why we do this. Yeah. yeah. So, um, it's uh, this is one of those businesses where the lessons learned are expensive uh, yeah. and you got to be prepared. so yeah um, but it's they they're great lessons. Um, ironically here in Savannah, the investor network here is very friendly. Yeah, you know? it's yeah, very friendly. Yeah. So you can call up a lot of these guys and go, hey, you'll never believe what I did. Do you have any ideas on how I could straighten this mess out? And a lot of them will give you some great advice, and it's truly honest to heart good advice. You yeah, know? like they want to see you win. Exactly, yeah, that's one of the great things I love about Savannah. Yeah. This market, everybody. I mean, me and me and Lee Winners have talked on a, on a, on a few deals. You know, I he's beat me out on a couple now, and a, it's it's like did you buy that house? And he goes, yeah, I bought that. <laughs> you know, and I bought a duplex. He was going after. So I mean, it's a it's a small community. It's a great community here. Uh, the investors are really tight-knit in a way that i don't see in a lot of places um, because it's a friendly competition it's, it's kind of like a gentleman's game you know you, you go out there and everybody everybody encourages everybody to win well there's just so many houses here right? exactly so like
0: if in atlanta or something right you're every like there's millions of people you know not literally millions but thousands yes. of people fighting for a handful of houses in a nice neighborhood exactly we're here just throw us down in any
1: direction and just start walking. You'll find a thousand houses. If you cannot find a deal in Savannah, you haven't looked hard enough. Yeah, for sure. There are so many deals here. It's such a great market, and that's why these big investment companies are coming in. Um, they recognize that this is a great market to be in. Yeah. Um, and and I think that's a hindrance for us local guys. Um, I think it's a benefit as well because they are likely to shoot themselves in the foot quite often um i was speaking to a broker this morning that was telling me how one of their you know national investors bought a bunch of houses and then realized that they paid full retail for them and well they don't have the value that they thought they would so um we have that benefit of knowing, knowing savannah you know savannah is a very unique place i've had a lot of wholesalers come in from outside and try to buy here that they call up and go, Hey, I bought a property over here for this. Can you just get me out of it? And I'm like, no, you know, because they cross one of the imaginary lines that only a local will know. Right. You know, I mean, it, there are, and there's so many of them, you know, you just, you go down, uh, um, Pennsylvania, you go on the left, great values on the right great rehabs legit quarter know. of the
0: value yeah exactly. it's crazy yeah. I mean
1: it, and literally cross a street and yeah. you lose a fortune you know and if you don't know these things um, it's it, it's very limiting on what you can do i would say a little bit of that is going away that which we were talking about too like
0: mm-hmm. a little bit before the show but like you know when you you know like Baldwin park camp or uh, Baldwin park live oak mm-hmm. starling district kind of that Absolutely. whole stretch not that many years ago just a couple of years ago ball block by block was important whereas now there's you know
1: it's kind of starting to fill in you know what i mean you're starting to see that that backfill now yeah um you're starting to see um i've currently got one over in live oak i just finished one in live oak i love live oak. i love live oak um it is one of my favorite neighborhoods it's got the old 40s houses those old four by four right by the park they're by the park there's so it's, much good about that neighborhood. it's so marketable it's yeah. it's just a great neighborhood it's still right on that cusp of you know if it's sketchy or not to to the outside person right you know um and so but you ride through there and you see all the projects going on there are a lot of people working in that neighborhood you have to be here to realize exactly you can't go on google earth no you know I i mean my favorite is um 32nd and i think it might be ash was that one house white house? They had the boards down one side because it had burned. They tore it down about uh, six, eight months ago, but they're, never, they're building there now. Um, I remember looking at that deal thinking, that is killing this neighborhood. And the day they took it down, I threw a little party uh, <laughs> because immediately the house I had right up the street went up in value. Yeah. You know? Uh, because it was the ugliest house, and I couldn't get my hands on it. You know, And then when they sold it, what they sold it for, uh, I was like, mm, no. So... But uh, you're seeing a lot of investors in a lot of these neighborhoods that are borderline neighborhoods that have that potential. And you're starting to see um, even Tatumville is getting a little bit more attention than it used to.
0: Yeah. Um, Camp Park. Camp Park. We, we did one early last year in the beginning of COVID Camp Park, 3, one thousand square feet or 1,100 square feet. And we were having a hard time finding an ARV or finding a comp to justify, like, we're trying to get it to 110 mm-hmm. and we couldn't find a comp for 110 like mm-hmm. there's no like nothing in this neighborhood goes above 100. yep and uh anyway we ended up selling for like 105 or something but uh just a month ago mm-hmm. house sold in there for 220. i know and and so which was two thousand square feet right but still that's crazy still
1: i mean no one was I'm paying more than 100 last year I'm 150. I've, i was given a ride by a local guy in um can park about a month ago now and he goes i can tell you everything about this neighborhood and he drove me around that area and he goes this guy lived here this guy lived here this is this guy's house this whole street is owned by this family and he goes that house just sold for one hundred and sixty thousand dollars. that is the most expensive house within three blocks of here you know and 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 he was showing me you know we one block would be almost entirely abandoned and the next block you could see that rehabbers been there you know you got three or four houses that are looking really good yeah um and even neighborhoods that just 2 years ago you really wouldn't want to pick something in are 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 really doing really well. Kyler's Bronzeville. Yeah. I
0: mean, just 2
1: years ago I mean, you weren't Yeah. If it I was mean... on the
0: West side of MLK, forget it.
1: Yep. And now there's houses they there selling for 2 250. I mean, we just bought uh our second duplex over there um 2 weeks ago. Oh yeah, duplexes. I mean, people are cash-flowing like crazy mm-hmm. there right now. Yeah. I mean, it's a great area. Um the the potential is there. Yeah. You know, especially with SCAD coming down victory. And so that's why we've been snatching up the duplexes because the, with SCAD putting that building up right there at, um, bull. Uh, uh, yeah. They are that almost always those students start to spread out. You yeah, know? right from that point, from that point, you know, you give them three to five years and your property values really start to take off. That's the house we sold in camp park. That was two SCAD cents Exactly. Yeah. And, and so, um, what we, Originally, um, one of the houses that we were doing in Live Oak was targeted. Uh, it, was, it was actually uh, we got an offer from a parent of a SCAD student. They were just going to buy the house so the kid could live there while he went to SCAD. You know? And um, we ended up not taking that offer. We took another offer. But that's what you're seeing. You know, they're, they're close to the school, so why not? You know? um, a lot of those kids' parents have piles of money because that's an expensive school. And so it drives values in the neighborhoods that they even even if they mention they're thinking about going there, the values go up, you know. Um, and so that's a, a a huge driving factor. And I, I don't know if you've done projects down there much lately, but the city has really cracked down on code violations. Dude, they're um,
0: killing me right now because I actually just bought a house on Camp Park. Okay. Yeah, and they're they've been really giving me
1: troubles there. Yeah, I have got my. Investigator on speed dial now. <laughs> um, he calls me direct and goes, Mike, your house at such and such. I'm like, I know. We're working on it. It's just they are really hammering those neighborhoods that need that attention. Um, and so I, I think that that's going to also, it makes our jobs more difficult. It makes our, our, our life a little bit more difficult. But I think that's also going to drive um, these neighborhoods to clean up you know you know it's actually I don't know why the city's been doing it but I've actually been seeing it
0: we've been seeing it at some of our south side properties too and stuff where um, we had a project wasn't real, real intensive or nothing I didn't have a dumpster out there nothing like that but I had some appliances on the back porch and the, the back area is kind of gated mm-hmm. but the gate was open and uh, we let the lawn get a little too long it was when it was raining all that time just a month ago or whatever they saw the front yard and without asking they walked around the back gave us a co-violation for well they gave us a warning but appliances on the back porch and it's like yep
1: yeah they've it's like we're on the south side you can't even see those it's a gate you know i mean it's a fenced in backyard what the heck yeah they've gotten very aggressive um over the last few months um and so i tell people you know that are trying to get into this make sure you're doing things right that's the other thing that you see is you'll get these you know rehabbers that they want to cut a bunch of corners you know they they they, you know oh i can save five thousand dollars by cutting this corner that corner this corner but that comes back to bite us all you know that that Ends up kicking us all in the butt because uh, then the city is gonna, you know, be harder on us. The, the, it makes the, uh, the the buyers a little more leery. You know, um, I am pretty proud of the reputation we have for the pro- properties we've sold. Yeah, I still have most of my buyers on speed dial. I I can text most of them right now, and they'll tell you what kind of pro- property we produce. Um, and I rather am protective of that um, reputation. I don't do a standard I wouldn't I, w- I don't do your standard lipstick on a pig rehab I just I don't think that um, it's the product I want to put my name on you know um, I want something that's gonna actually improve that community and not give me a headache in three years you know and I think that that working that way with the city is gonna become more crucial because they really are they are watching yeah the, I think around. it's only gonna get worse too yeah it is um, yeah. they they've hired the agents to do it um, and they—they're just—they want their down. money. They want their money. Yeah, I mean that's happening with the
0: property taxes too, right? Mm-hmm. I mean a lot of people. I, I was fortunate; none of our properties got raised. But last year, I know a lot of investors whose property—you ta- know—they've been adjusting to. Mm-hmm. They want their money.
1: They're—they're, they're, <laughs> and you're gonna, and it is, as these neighborhoods are improved, you're gonna see more of that, I believe. Um, and so, it's also something you've got to plan for in your rehabs. You know, you've got to plan for things to be a little different. You know, we we tend to pull a lot more permits than we used to. Um, Even if it's questionable, just go ahead and get permits pulled. Um, Yeah. Because it's just easier. Um, We, we, I mean, there's, it used to be, you knew you could do, you know, the lipstick stuff and not have to worry about it. Well, we just did one where we did the panel in an HVAC, and they wouldn't let us go any further. So... Um, the house is literally done. was supposed to go on the market today. Not going to make it. Um, we're waiting on the final, second round of permits because we had each vendor pull permits, but the same inspector came out. So he, he recognized pe- he's it. He's like, hey. He goes, nope. So we can't get power turned back on. Once power is on, the house is done, though. So there not only is code enforcement cracking down, but you know your inspectors are cracking down. They're starting to, to make note of the... You know the shoddy rehabbers, um, and actively look for them. So, yeah, I think that it'll get worse. Yeah, yeah. So, I, and I think that, in a way, that's good. But for the guys that are doing it right, it does make it a lot harder. Um, it does add cost, add time um, to to everything we do. So, which does ultimately hinder margin. Right. Yeah. So,
0: I was going to ask you about that next. So, do you um, subcontract a lot out, or are you guys got a lot of people in house, or how do you? Kind of
1: I work subcontract that? everything. 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 Okay. Um, I my job is buying houses. Right. Um, I go out and I look at. I meet people. I buy houses. I network. That's what I do. Um, we have project manager that he he deals with all our vendors and we subcontract it all at this point. Um, it's just more effective. Um, the thing we have discovered uh, with construction workers, especially in this market, is in-house they tend to get a little comfortable and their production rates have gone down whereas if they're on a big job they uh they tend to get their production done right done right the first time um so we kind of went exclusively to the subcontractor model cost me a little bit more up front actually i think my costs are down if i look at my numbers uh on my last project i'm actually down a little bit by doing that so it makes sense to go ahead and you know have these guys that are willing to do the work and they're out there um my one of my uh, project manager's jobs is finding new vendors you know finding that new guy that's trying to get started because i don't mind giving you a whole stack of work I, I got plenty of properties for it um we just we need quality work um and we've discovered with you know in-house yeah you're paying them you know half the salary but a lot of times we were only getting half the production right. so um it, it, it we're we're actually down in cost because of that.
0: So I've been looking at thinking about bringing guys in-house or keeping them. So it's kind of interesting
1: to hear that. Yeah, we had we tried in-house and um uh, we when you look at one of our projects versus uh, one of the recent ones we did with just subs, um our costs are pretty much essentially the same, you know. But the one that we just did was done faster with less error. So that brings cost down because you're not doing rework, you're not buying extra materials, you're not so we're we we really have evaluated, you know, the value of having in-house, you know, because yeah, I can have this guy on staff, you know, making 15, 20 dollars an hour, 25 dollars an hour, but that's 20 dollars an hour for every hour, you know, and so now I'm working to keep him employed whereas if I'm hiring subs, if I don't have projects, I don't have to worry about pay. Right. You know, so that's not a cost I have to uh, to, uh plan on does it initially in, in in our book it looked like it saved us money long term it really kind of came up as a wash with you know extended costs kind of overpowering the savings so
0: um talking about the franchise model and scalability do you plan on staying here in savannah for ever or
1: have you guys have any intentions of kind of like getting out or what? so i will probably stay in savannah forever uh, we have talked about adding an additional franchise um, in another market within two hours, um, but as far as me, I will probably scale here, and because I love Savannah, I, I know Savannah. Savannah is like my favorite little place, um, and I feel great about Savannah. But if we bring on another franchise, we will probably hire a buyer. Um, we can. I can do almost everything with this business remotely. So, and, and so it would be one of those that we'd probably, you know, hire a buyer, hire a, a coordinator, um, and hire a project manager, you know, cause we can do it all from afar. I can check in once a week. Right. Thing. So, um, and that is a benefit of a franchise. I can be anywhere in the country and because we have, you know, we have an app for everything, you know, right. we have, you know, we have CRM, we have, uh, uh, an app that helps us assess the cost of repairs you know that and so i can my my buyer can go out look at it assess it take pictures upload them put his stuff into the app i can look at everything and just okay it you know and so that is the benefit that we do have um and i know uh, a lot of people um i talk to in the investors here um they're like well i don't know why you'd buy a franchise you can do this all day long without their help and they're correct. But the, the technology, the data we get, the insight we get is, is beneficial to me. And the initial fees are are kind of pricey to get in. Um, but after you've been doing it a while and you um, – and you because uh, th- the way that their structure set up is you start off with higher fees and you work your way down as you do more real estate. Okay. Um, and so once you get to the point where I'm at now, the fees really aren't too crazy. Um. And so, I, I I don't mind that. And also, when other lenders, even when COVID popped out last year and a lot of hard money had stopped, it didn't stop for us. Um, uh, several of the um, hard money lenders, the larger hard money lenders, stopped their programs for normal investors just to make sure that we had the funding um, for us. Um, so that is a benefit when the when the when the shit hits Savannah, they they, they will be there um, because we do have that power of you know over a thousand franchises. Right. So um, our paint prices are is the the my paint rep said he's it's the lowest prices he's ever seen on paint. You know, Sure, um, Williams. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so you guys got like the platinum or whatever the platinum, oh we're yeah, we're yeah. we're above your top painter in Savannah by the yeah, way yeah 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 um, and so they they we have a buying power which does help us reduce costs and in my opinion and from what I've seen has kind of offset some of the costs of the franchise um you know the I tell people the first five years I would consider your f- franchise you know a break even you know it's where the long-term franchisees that I know the ones that have been doing this for five or more years uh, every one of them swears by it and and quite a few of them were solid investors before they bought a franchise. Um, and I know a couple of them right off the top of my head that they absolutely, um, 15, 20 years of investing, you know, some of them have been guests on Bigger Pockets. You know, these are, you know, pretty well-known people yeah. that have bought these franchises because it works, you know, especially for, I mean, like me and my husband with a military background, it's very structured, it's really, really simple to follow. Um, it's uh it, and having that backup plan that they give you is is kind of helpful, you know. Um, notwithstanding getting out there and getting to know your local investors, you know, um, your local market. Um, there, there's no better way to to really get into this, in my opinion, um, with very little actual back or skill backing. You know, I've been rehabbing a long time, but they expanded my mindset immensely, literally overnight. Which I'm sure is like, uh, it's one of those things, right? You
0: also get in, you get out of it what you put into it, right? Absolutely. So if you just are going to get the franchise model and just expect it to make you blow up (coughs) with very little work on your end,
1: you probably have another thing coming. Well, that's like the, (laughs) the meme I saw earlier today. A lot of you people want a $20 an hour job with a $3 an hour workout. <laughs> it doesn't work in any business. Yeah, um, It is a business as is any business. Um, you have to put time in. If you think you're going to come out just like some of these new wholesalers do and just going to kill it, knock it out the park on your first shot, you might get lucky and do it once. Long term, it doesn't work. You've got to put that effort in. You've got to get out there and, and do the work. Um, a lot of people watch HDTV and think this job is so easy. You know, this is, I can I can make a million dollars this year and not even try that hard. Right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> let me know how you did it. I'll, uh, I'd i love to follow your paths. So. You know,
0: it's funny. I always watch like, well, I don't watch as much now, but when I first, you know, anyway, when I was watching HDTV before, I'd watch like Chip and Joanna Gaines or whatever. I'd be like, I'm adding up the numbers in my head. How do they. How did they do all that rehab for that amount of money or you know what I mean like I just don't understand the economics of it they got you know what I mean they must be getting subsidized by the TV channel or something It just doesn't make sense you know what I mean yeah they make it look so clean, easy and like you're making a million bucks on every house
1: yeah and and what they also don't tell you is you know that rehab took six months. Right. and They just squished it into an hour. Right, yeah. You know, it gives these people a very unrealistic view of what a rehab looks like.
0: And they have three hundred employees, which I understand is exactly. between, you know, the apparel and everything. But exactly. like, I'm sure their rental crews are huge.
1: Oh, absolutely. And so that gives them an advantage. Also, when a chip and Joanna Gaines house goes on the market, it doesn't go for market value. It goes on average for twice market value. So if you've got an extra double to work with you can kind of make anything happen, you know. So it it does give an unrealistic view of, you know, what you can do, you know. People, people think that, A, they can do the rehab cheaper, and, B, they can get whatever they ask for it, you know. I mean, I wish that was the case, you know. Right. Um, I'd have a whole lot of million-dollar houses in Brownsville, but um, <laughs> that's not how it works. It's got to comp out. It's got to appraise and things like that um uh, and in the real world right and and that's where uh you see a lot of the younger wholesalers get into trouble because they don't they don't run the numbers. The numbers are key in this business, you know. Numbers are everything. You you don't make money when you sell a house. You make the money when you buy the Dagum thing. If you screwed it up at the get, you're just you're just running from the avalanche at right. that point. Yeah. So um and and we've all done it. We we've all shot that cannon at the snowbank and hope to not get squished so yeah because um, you have to take chances still too right but you do i mean this is there's still a difference a, between
0: negligence and chances right yeah, exactly <laughs> this is still a risky
1: business i mean we're all gonna you're we're all gonna step in a pile every now and then you're gonna buy a house thinking it's a an absolute gem and then they they somebody knocks a hole in a drywall and you look in and you go like, crud and you find termites you know the whole house is and you're like oh crap they didn't see anything in the and yeah so you can only plan for so much when you're when you're doing your purchase, and you know we've all had those experiences where you, you they banged open a hole in a drywall and you find you know caked on mold an inch thick. You know it's like everything in here looks great, right? You yeah. know it's like so now here comes the basement crew.
0: <laughs> so yeah. Um, let me ask you this. do you watch uh,
1: very many videos online? or are you listen to a lot of podcasts, audiobooks, anything like that? I listen to a lot of the bigger pocket stuff while I ride around the truck. if i'm if I'm driving, I'm probably I don't listen to the, like the radio stations much anymore. I'm listening to some sort of ebook. Um, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, it all depends on the mood for the day. Uh, i've I've got a reading list about as long as I am tall of various books I've been suggested to read by, you know, business people and um, investors and and various people I talk to and so I'm always kind of going through my reading list and adding some some other skill or some other idea Um, I think the biggest benefit you can have as an investor is the new idea, the next idea Um, I think ideas are invaluable um, to to any business so um, it could be whether it's the way you do funding or the way you do you know uh, taxes I mean you never know what type of idea may be the best fit for you you know right. so trying out I remember um, I remember reading the uh, the investors uh, the investors bible also known as rich dad poor dad and uh, <laughs> seriously yeah I mean I don't know any investor that has not read that and and, and if I ask a, an investor that's never read it I always give them the look like a, a dog hearing a strange sound right? yeah What? Um, I don't, I don't think know. I've I've had
0: thirty-two guests on. Mm-hmm. Every single person, I think, I think that's true. As every read.
1: serious investor I know has read Rich. Has read it. Yeah, every one of them. Yeah. Um, and so when I uh, when I ask that and they go, "What?" I'm like, hmm, "You're automatically suspect in my book." <laughs> <laughs> you can't be that serious. Yeah, you're not that serious. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, it's like a uh, you. Mm, I, I don't know about you. So, <laughs> you're not part of the cult, man. Yeah, yeah, you're not part of the cult. But I remember reading the book the first time, and it brought—I mean, it brought me so many ideas.
0: You know, it makes it so simple. It does. And it just lays it right out. It's in your face.
1: Absolutely. And so one of the things was my concept of money. You know, I had the—I call it the small money mindset. You know, I'd, I'd worked as a cop for a decade, making fifty-two k a year. Well, that was at the end. Um, I mean, that's a rehab. It's one rehab. Yeah. When you think of it on a grander scale, you know, if you limit yourself to that 52K, your mindset, it limits what you can do in this, in this world. Right. You know, in this investment world. Um, I, the, the, one of the biggest things I learned from the book was, you know, have a different perception of cash, a different perception of funding. You know, come up with some creative ideas um and I've, I've i've worked really hard on you know that next creative idea next creative method you know uh, spreading out you know credit lines things like that and utilizing what i've got available to me um and that really does help you know help you get to that growth point that really does make this sustainable so um but yeah if they're a, any kind of investor and they tell me they haven't read that book or. <laughs>
0: we probably won't be doing business together. Yeah. well I, I, I usually go
1: go ahead and read that book and get back to yeah, it yeah yeah call you me know. back once this is done yeah once you've read this let it, me know
0: is there a book that you recommend besides richard poor dad
1: golly i've read so many Degum books or e-booked so many books uh, over the last year um I don't have a specific one, honestly. I've just because each book I glean something from, you know. I I would honestly say if you can get into any kind of uh, books about money, you know, about uh, hard money lending or or getting yourself funding or getting you know any kind of uh, investor friendly books. Rich Dad is like I said, the Bible for. Every serious investor I know has read that, you know, um, and so I think a lot of people don't value the knowledge you can gain from a book, you know. Um, I e-book constantly, and and I've been through so many of them. I've got a little list. I keep notes in my phone uh, for what I'm reading next. I've got I think I'm ten deep in that right <laughs> now. So um, it's a checklist. Yeah. So, um, but I, I think that constant education, uh, a lot of people think they're going to come into this and they are just going to learn through trial and error. I don't, I spend a lot of time in my car going to look at houses, so it gives me time to listen to these things and learn something from somebody else's experiences, you know, learn, you know, glean a little bit of information from what they've learned with well, the mistakes they've made, you know, um, and, and it's been invaluable to hear or to, to, to listen to these things and get ideas. Um, they're just, it, it's its crazy how many things that you think you've come up with the first time it's ever been done and you, you hear about it in a book, you're like, I thought that was mine. So, <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's tough too in this business to learn from trial and error because it costs so much money anytime there's an error, right? So if you can limit those, it's...
1: Absolutely, it's it's really hard to swallow, you know. You always make mistakes, sorry. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I mean, well, that's the thing. A lot of the mistakes you make <clears throat> in this business are either through just not knowing any better. You know, I mean, your first rehab. Just think back to your first one. You know, like, like they say the, on everything, the first is the worst. I thought it'd be done in two weeks. My first rehab, eh, my dad, my dad's estate. I bought it. My first rehab. I figured oh, I'll get this done in two, three months on my own. Do it myself. Took a little over a year.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's worse you know? than my for Yeah.
1: But it was my time, yeah. you know, on my cash. So it wasn't crazy. And I live there. So it wasn't crazy. But three month timeline was a year. Yeah. You know, and, but, and that's a common mistake. We all think we can do a lot more than we can in less time than is humanly possible.
0: Yeah. I think it's an entrepreneurial thing or something. Cause, yeah. And you always sugarcoat everything in your brain. Oh, this won't be that bad. Oh, yeah. Oh, they're going to dig in that wall where there's clearly rot, and it won't be that bad.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I can see that the wall is bowed, but it's just going to be a bent board. Yeah, it'll be nothing. Yeah, Yeah. it's not going to be anything major. (laughs) And then they open it up, and they go, oh, well, um, the the joist that you couldn't see because it's got – boards under it and it, it's yeah the boards are there because that's all that's left yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I've, I, we opened up a bathroom that was actually perfectly level in the house but we crawled under there to replace the toilet uh, the toilet um drain and the plumber says i'm not going to touch it and they go why not he goes, i'm not i'm not working under there so i crawl under there and i discover that the entire concrete floor is being held up by the concrete floor The joists under it were completely rotted away, gone. What? Like, they didn't exist. So. Holy cow. There went, uh, yeah, and and (laughs) nobody thought to look at it because it was completely level. Right, yeah. I I was like, it looks great. You know, we thought it was going to take a little bit of, uh, maybe a little jacket because there was one corner, it was like quarter inch off, half inch off.
0: That's actually pretty remarkable. I can't believe it holds itself up.
1: Trust how? me, I couldn't either. That's crazy. I, when 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 I got under there and I saw the 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 framing, I t- I'll never know how it stayed in the house. It should have been in the crawl space. Right. Yeah, it should be gone. Um, and ironically, in that same floor plan, because I've bought two or three of them in that exact same floor plan, um, I'm starting to see it uh, as a common thing in the bathroom. Um, I've, this I just bought one, or I'm in the middle of a rehab on one that has the exact same issue in the master bed or bath so, that's weird i wonder why i think it's just the way because back then they didn't have code so they didn't put a lot of the times they didn't put a uh, thick enough structure yeah i think a lot of the times they got wet and, and just, just rot, rot, rot right right out and because they're so, i mean the last one was four inch thick concrete and it's just wedged in there in such a way that it just can't move right uh, it's not going to break exactly import. yeah so um but trying to resupport it nobody want, wants to work under that. yeah seriously yeah you know it's four inches of concrete <laughs> yeah. you know it's a hundred square foot of concrete so <laughs> no yeah you're not coming back from that yeah. laid on your back yeah yeah, yeah, yeah no way you're, Yeah. you're gonna be squished like a bug you're done yeah so um,
0: yeah but it's, fortunately that's not happened yet no
1: no we <laughs> I, I do I will bite the bullet and do it the right way every time um, it hurts none of us like it but if it's done the right way it's you don't have to worry about it right you know just just do it the right way you know we ended up tearing our whole bathroom out which we had no budget for the bathroom because we had it was fine it was great it was a gorgeous 1940s state uh, uh dated bathroom and we we were going to refinish the tub mm, yeah sometimes yeah yeah it went from the 500 hundred dollar bathroom budget to the $5,500 bathroom right. budget <laughs> so um, what advice would you give
0: yourself if you could go back to day one you and talk to you and day one you can choose so you could either be when you first got into the Marine Corps out of the Marine Corps start
1: investing whatever honestly I would go back to uh, 2014 I had the opportunity to leave the patrol then and the the fear side of it set in you know and I probably should have walked away and did this many years sooner. Um, I was a uh, my biggest problem that I've always found in myself, my own mentality is I fear failure. Um, what this business has taught me is I only fail if I don't try, and so I try it all. Um, the worst I can do is screw it up, you know. <laughs> um, and so far, screwing it up hasn't been so bad. You know, I've uh, I've had some really good wins. I've had some losses. We've all experienced that. But um, uh, don't fear the failure. You know, you know. Without uh, what is that quote? Um, Without risk, there is no reward. Without trying, there is no. Or without, or if you never fail, you never tried. Right. So um, yeah, those are two to to live by. Um, You're gonna in this business you're going to do stuff that scares you i know some pretty seasoned investors that when we talk they're they're at least every so often we'll have a deal where they're like uh this one makes me a little nervous you know it's uh it's you're gonna do enough of these you're gonna have the to over where you're like i hope this works out like a planet because like you said we sugar-coated some of the ugly bits you know and yeah. Most of the time, there's a plan for it. You try to plan for all that. You know, that's part of your the, 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 the due diligence and that homework that you do um, that a lot of young wholesalers don't do enough of. You know, um, you got to have, you know, multiple plans. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if, you know, this turns into a complete shit show? You know, as we've all experienced, um, every now and then you're going to get that one where just nothing goes right. You know, everything you touch is just a train wreck. Um, but yeah, just don't fear. Uh, just get out there and try it. Um, it's it's an extremely rewarding thing, um, especially when you finish a house. When you that that last time you walk in before closing that day, and you, just before you sell it, and you walk through that house and you remember what it looked like when you bought it, and then what it looks like now, and you're like, I did this, and i'm pretty proud of it so um i I have yet to do a project that i'm not proud of um i I, I love every one of them i've done so um some of them are prettier than others you know we've we've all had those houses we're like i'm just glad to be done with it so but uh, i i love them all so they've all taught me something you know don't buy in that neighborhood again (laughs) so don't fear failure don't fear failure make the jump just take take that step you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta take that step, uh, that leap of faith every now and then. You know, uh, make that first mistake, because um, once you realize that making that mistake isn't fatal. Um, it will, uh, it works out. It usually does. Well, that seems like a no
0: end done. Thanks for coming on, man.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, thanks uh, for having me. <laughs> yeah, man. Have a good week. Oh, hey, one sec before you go. Uh, how can people find you? So you've got a couple of ways to uh, locate me. You can email me at Mike dot butchentini at homevestors.com uh, you can text me at 843 um, 609 and those are probably the two best ways uh, to reach out to me um, I would say there might be a couple other methods in if you google uh, the homevestors company um, that is sent out in a way that you may not get just me we've got multiple franchises here uh, but those two be- ways are the best way to get me uh, and if you can't understand my, my last name, it's B-U-C-C-I-A-N-T-I-N-I uh, for those of you just listening. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thanks, man. Have a good week. Absolutely. All right. Everybody. Hey, y'all. Thank you
0: so much for listening this week. If uh, you want to show some support, please head on over to mpgpodcast.com. Check out the awesome merch we have on there. Um, and also subscribe and comment wherever you listen to this. Uh, that does a huge things for pushing us up on the algorithm, whether it's on Spotify, Apple Music, uh, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, YouTube, whatever it is, whatever platform you use. Go right now, go subscribe, go comment, help push us up, and also please share us on your social media. Um, the more listens we get, the more I can bring uh, more guests. I can bring in the more value I can bring you guys. So. Thanks so much. It's a total team effort. I appreciate all the support and uh, hope you all have a great week. See you guys next week.